You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church. And you're just moments away of listening to a sermon exhortation, and I'm so stoked to be able to do that and to go along this journey with you. Now, our God on high, He still lives and He rules and He reigns all over the place, and the primary way that we see His heart towards us is in the text. And so when we say that we're about to listen to a sermon exhortation, we're saying we're about to have coffee with Jesus. That's awesome. Now, if you are not a believer or you're kind of questioning and trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, I'm so excited you're here. A couple here's some ground rules. Number one, you don't have to believe anything that we're talking about. You can be so comfortable to ask questions to anybody in our community about things that don't make sense to you. We are not afraid of the difficult conversations that come out of this text. And more importantly, I believe that as you keep leaning in with us, that you're going to see that God is real and that your life gets better. Let's do this, people, and let's go. Grace and peace. Oh man, let's activate that privileged position today. Turn up if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do. Let's open them to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Yeah, one more time, because we're going to be in this book in just a little bit. As we continue forward in our Jonah series, I just want to remind you that this story is all about God's compassion and our opportunity, Lord. Praise Christ to join him in it. And, and today I want to remind you that our faithful aim throughout this Jonah series will be to lay a firm, firm foundation that the Old Testament and the stories that often seem outlandish and distant and really, really far-fetched from our culture today are altogether practical and, and relevant and infinitely important for our everyday lives as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, and that the book of Jonah specifically has been revealed to us by God. And it's, and it's for God in order that we might avoid some of the dangers and the trappings of our unforgiving and sometimes, let's just be honest, our, our hostile hearts towards God and those that he decides that he wants to pursue and offer redemption to. Therefore, our aim together as we track through this sermon today is to offer quick obedience to the things that God's calling us to do right here in the text instead of delayed obedience, which is a fancy way for saying disobedience, that's going to be our hope today, transformationally, really today and throughout the rest of this series. Now, now last week in part three titled, God's Costly Response to Our Costly Rebellion, we, we looked at segment B of that conversation and we learned that the book of Jonah opened up with a really clear exhortation by God and there was really nothing complicated about it at all. Like what God said was clear. It was a super clear, direct word from God telling Jonah to really get up and, and to get going over to Nineveh because they were wicked and he had a message ready and available for them. But we learned that Jonah chose to act like he was playing a game of charades or perhaps Pictionary and he was really upset about the deck of cards that he had been given.
given. And we learn that we too act like that sometimes. And when we're reading the scriptures and we're kind of walking through the text, we tend to find things and then focus on things that really we don't understand. And then we make that why we have overall rebellion to the things of God. Yet, if we're being honest, we're, we're really quick to glance over the things and to dismiss the things that we really do clearly understand, but, but we just don't want to submit our lives to. We learn that there are issues that God does reveal to us, and it's so clear in his word, and or by the power of the Holy Spirit, or through the context of covenant community, and, and there isn't any discussion needed, but we we avoid and we go in the opposite direction from those exhortations. And we learn that the path of the beautiful destination of really having a, ho- a happy and a joyful life, which I think we can all agree we all want, is discovered and eventually is achieved by finding, folks, finding obedience as pleasurable and not seeing disobedience as something that is that is reasonable. We learn that that discovery process and, and that journey is literally the most important part of a young believer's life as they mature and grow in healthy ways. And we all want to grow and, and become more mature in Christ, right? In, in healthy ways. We learn that so much, so much of God's Word is it's not confusing and, and it's not elusive, nor is it complex. Instead, it's often plain and it's and it's direct and and it's simple. We learn that obeying the Lord isn't just doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. But folks, we learn that obeying the Lord can be an absolute life-changing, sin-eradicating game changer that will make your life the highest of quality and, and the deepest of joy and the, and the broadest of strength and the clearest, folks, the clearest of vision and perspective for your life. We also learn that as we mature in Christ and, and offer our lives as a glad living sacrifice uh, by way of glad obedience out of our deepened confidence about who he is and therefore what he's called us to do, our, our hunger and our neediness steadily goes down for the things of the world as we, be, as we find ourselves satisfaction, praise Christ, in God alone. However, we also learn that when we listen to Satan and obey his lies and entertain his empty promises, our our hunger kind of steadily grows for this world and our universal neediness kind of increases and then perverts and disorders and, and, and we become more and more empty. And finally, we learn that we should definitely, definitely not attempt to practice our obedience to the Lord by going in the act, the exact opposite direction of the thing he's calling us to do, or by fabricating, we talked about that, right? Fabricating our, our next move um, in our lives to fulfill our own selfish desires. And that brings us to today, segment C of this conversation about God's costly response to our costly rebellion. And, and today we're going to really finish up our third and final conversation on, on Jonah chapter 1. So, so let's put those, th- those phones a little bit further away from us right now as we listen to this sermon than we usually do. And let's prepare our hearts and, and our minds to engage. I, I really want you to engage in this, in this opening prayer in a real way with a little more intentionality perhaps than you usually do at the opening prayer because because folks we all have portions right of Jonah in in our in our hearts we we have that spirit within us some of us have it at a at a micro rebellious level and and some of us have it at a at a micro rebellious level but but we all have portions right if we're being honest we all have these portions and today it's about laying whatever size that portion is at at the feet of Jesus at at the cross and saying lord Lord, I surrender. I I surrender my life and I surrender my activities and my decisions and my perspectives, God. I surrender them all to you. 
Okay, so as we prepare to camp around the same 17 verses today that we've already really dedicated, if you, if you don't know, over three hours already, we've been in chapter one, as we again break cultural no- norms that boast and feature 30-minute little snippet TED Talks in replacement of really exhorting God's word, I just want to encourage you today that we're going to read God's word as amazing student letters, learners, and we're going to unpack that, and we're going to see all that God has for us by the power of the Holy Spirit in some really, really amazing ways. And and that means we get the glad opportunity to connect with God today for the next hour and a half or so. And that means we get to be in relationship actively with God for the next hour and a half. And that means we have the opportunity to deepen our affections and our love and our capacity to live like Christ for the next hour and a half. And I find that to be some really encouraging news. Okay, so so I'm ready to do this and I and I hope you're ready to do this. So let's get into God's word now. Then we're going to pray and we're going to see all of what God has. Let's Let's bow our heads. So Father, in Jesus' name now, as we spend some time together to study your word, I, I pray that our time would be powerful and that you, Lord, would change our lives and, and our attention to better things. Lord, every man and, and woman listening to this sermon is like Jonah in some really serious ways, Lord. I'm not exempt from that reality. We are all most definitely rebellious by nature. We were, we were born that way, but, but what we choose to do with that nature is what will determine where we end up in this life. And and therefore, Jesus, we want to bring our rebellion, whether it's a macro-level rebellion or or a micro-level rebellion, no matter the size, we we want to bring that rebellion under subjection to you today because because we want your offering of peace in our lives. And, And I pray that you, Lord, might be able to return us to our first love and that the joy of salvation would not be taken away from us and that the Holy Spirit would be our source. So Lord, I trust you to speak specifically to each man and and each woman listening to this sermon. And within each of the areas of rebellion that we have, please deal with it today in your word. Jesus, we pray these prayers and study this book knowing that your great love for us and your great satisfaction in yourself alongside the Father is established here in the text. You have you've already established righteousness, so now we turn to you and receive it from you, Lord. And we receive it as a gift, and we believe it by faith that it works for us. So therefore, awaken us to everything you have in this book of Jonah. It's because of your beautiful, beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Let's let's look at the word of God. And it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He he went down to Joppa and, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of of the Lord. Wow, this is this is the weighty word 
of God. Okay, okay, so, so the book of Jonah has this grand theme attached to it, and it's not Jonah. We've been, we've been learning that, right? Like, because Jonah is mentioned in this whole book 18 times, and, and Nineveh is mentioned in this book nine times. The fish is mentioned about four times, but God, folks, our God is mentioned 38 times throughout the book of Jonah. Like, there's only 48 verses total. We talked about that in, in part one of our series, yet three-fourths of the book is about his name. His name, his name is Yahweh, praise Christ. And and I want you to know that every single story of the Bible is illustrating a picture of God's relentless pursuit of his people. That is what we're going to see today, not only in verses 1 through 3, but as we march and fillet open the text for the rest of our time today. Folks, even from the very beginning of Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, we know where they sinned and they were taken out of the Garden of Eden from that very moment. Our God has been pursuing them and, and therefore us relentlessly, relentlessly with, with promises and, and diligence and, and with forbearance and with grace and, and incredible amounts of cosmic kindness coming our way. And, and every single passage of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament illustrates God's love for you. And I don't want you to ever forget that. That's what I'm trying to really nail into our hearts and attach to our minds that this doesn't change. God's love and kindness from the Old Testament through the New Testament to our time today, it, it hasn't changed. Okay, so, so here's my question. What is God doing? And therefore, what is he saying in your life right now as he's relentlessly pursuing you? Because he is. Because as you study God's word with me and actually receive your very first, ready for this, your very first sermon homework assignment today, that's right, you're getting homework attached to this sermon, that's going to be a question I want you to answer in your heart. And, and to make it official right now, in the middle of this sermon, you, or in the beginning of the sermon, your homework this week is to read Jonah chapter 2 in its entirety, uninterrupted, on your own. And, and as you read it with a notepad in one hand and, and a pen in the other, uh, I, I want you to pay extra careful attention to make sure your heart is softened and, and your mind is open because as you study chapter 2, verse by verse, and you really intentionalize your time, I want you to pray and write down the things that you are seeing that God is saying in Jonah's heart and how Jonah's reflecting and, and what that might mean for you today. Because my hope is by the end of this assignment that you come to the, to the joy conclusion that God pursues his people despite their wickedness and despite their rebellion. Because today and for the rest of this book series that we're going to be studying, I want you to see how God responds to you in the worst of your seasons, in the worst of your actions, and at the times when you're most rebellious. But I, but I also want you to know that this lesson on rebellion, folks, it's really twofold. And, and I'm going to unpack that right now. You see, the rebel number one in this story was, was, was Jonah because God specifically told him what to do. And, and Jonah was like, really? The Ninevites, the murderers, the abusers, those guys, you want me to go save those guys? Give those guys an opportunity? Um, no, thank you. 
pass. Like, like he wanted no part of it. He was like, no way. I want to go a different way. And he activated that, that rebel mentality. Okay, but there's another rebel. There's another rebel in this story, and it's God. And, and I want you to know that God was an even bigger rebel than even Jonah. And you see, God saw what Jonah was doing, and, and, and God saw how Jonah was running, and, and he didn't say, you know what? See you, Jay. I never really liked you anyways. I, I was trying to free up my, my payroll, and you just made this really easy for me. So, so thank you. You've done me a favor. I'm moving on to someone else. Like, that's not what God said. Okay, okay. But, but you and I, so often in our small thinking, sometimes say to ourselves in our heart, if we're being honest, I'm just going to do it my way, God. Can't you just find another person? That's, that's not interesting to me. Someone else more holy or more into all that can, can handle that, that commission for you. But folks, God made you and he made me like he used his precious breath and he breathed life into you and he created you and and you were made in his image. We're made in the Imago Dei and like the framework and the handiwork of our bodies and our souls, like it's all been made in the likeness of our creator. So so don't ever believe the lie and the hype from the enemy anymore that says that you don't matter or, or you don't have value or God. That, that's Ephesians series, right? You don't matter. You don't have value. Okay, Jonah now. Don't you ever believe the lie and the hype that God doesn't care what you do. God cares infinitely about what you do. Always, always, folks, remember that. Pay attention. God made you the way he made you in order that you would do what God wants you to do at this time, in this day, and in this age. Like, like can't you see? God is rebelling even harder than Jonah rebelled and we rebel. But folks, when God rebels, he does it in all the right ways. Okay, so so let me keep pinpointing and over-communicating and deep diving on this concept of rebellion because when we're done with this today, my goal is that you will absolutely hate rebellion with all your heart. So so let's do a quick poll right now and check our, our belief system right now. Are you guys ready to do this with me? Okay, so here it is. I want you to raise your hand, literally use your hand physically and raise your hand if you genuinely believe that rebellion is a big deal to God according to what you've been learning and, and according to what you know as as a believer. Raise your hand. Do you believe rebellion is a big deal? Listen, throughout the scriptures, rebellion is a very, very, very serious thing to our God. And as a matter of fact, Samuel uh, prophesied to, to King Saul and said, do you want to know what God really thinks about your rebellion, Saul? And, and he began to unpack that. But, but here's what's so crazy. What Saul actually did at that portion in the text would be pretty justifiable and kind of excusable in most of our opinions today, based on how we think in our culture that normalizes disobedience to God. It just depends on how you look at it. It's, it's one of those things where you might be saying to one of your friends in your heart in a similar situation, like, hey, man, I might have done the same thing. It, it just depends on how you, how you look at it. It depends on what your perspective is. It's all about perspectives, you know? And, and, and when you look at it from this way, it's not a really a big deal, etc., etc. Okay, so, well, let's go to the text, so, uh, or the story in the Old Testament. So Samuel uh, approached Saul, and he was like, dude, what's up, dog? Like, I told you that God said to, to do something, and yet you did the exact opposite, and I'm just coming to, to kind of check you about that. Like, what are you doing? And, and Saul was like, Samuel, 
know, my, my, my homie, I, I see what you mean, but, but really I was actually trying to, I was actually trying to help God out. I, you just probably didn't understand my perspective. I, I've been thinking about this actually, Samuel, for a while now. I've been taking it pretty seriously and Folks, I'm not joking. This is a true story. First Samuel chapter 20. Check it out. It's legit. And and so and, and Saul continues on to Samuel. Uh, I was actually thinking through things a bit deeper, and I had a different angle. You know, I just had kind of a I had a different take on on what how we should proceed with things. And so I just want you to hear my perspective. And and Samuel responded, and he was like, "Dude, rebellion is like witchcraft to the Lord." Are you tracking with me? So stop rationalizing and stop justifying what you're doing, Saul. Saul, you've sinned. Okay, so so I want to ask you again, like how big of a deal is rebellion to you? Like is it a big deal when you stand contrary to the word? Or or is there room for you to rationalize and to justify and to underappreciate what God is saying? Like, okay, let me flip the script this way. Is Is witchcraft a big deal to you? Anybody? Is, is witchcraft a big deal? Like, like is doing a little bit of witchcraft over here and, and a little stabbing of the dolls with the w- really weird needles over there and a little blood-filled chant about that over there? Is, is that sound like a good time to you? Any takers? Raise your hand. Is witchcraft is witchcraft a big deal? Like, like, are you cool with your spouse or perhaps your children, like hanging out in the forest, chanting and dancing and, and burning things all around and shrieking and, and, and calling out to weird tree mythology realities? Like, like no way, right? Like most of us would be very mortified by even having an invitation for someone to be a part of that, let alone yourself. And okay, well, well, the Bible says loudly that rebellion is like witchcraft to God. Wow, that clarity, that's, that's a big deal. But what's so sad is that we treat rebellion like it's a lightweight butter cake situation instead of the witchcraft level seriousness that God, folks, that God says it is. Because when it comes to rebellion, we start rationalizing and we start justifying and saying to ourselves and others, well, it all depends on how you think through it. And, and we say to ourselves, is this a macro rebellion situation or a micro level situation? Is, there, is it casual or is it a big deal? How many times did you do it? It's just one time. No big deal. Watch it. Don't do it again. God's not too worried about that. Okay. And, and most of us probably would say that we aren't going around doing micro rebellious things all the time. Like well, most of us are not really walking around trying to cheat or, or steal or, or abuse people, right? Like, but most of us would probably say that we, we do struggle in, in the micro level things, the, the itty bitty small things that we make not significant, but that doesn't mean, but that doesn't mean it doesn't count to our God. Like, like just because your life looks pretty good from the outside, it doesn't mean that there's not a few chinks in your armor that can lead to great canyons of opportunity for Satan. Because let me just be honest, when you do that, Satan waits and he makes schemes. And we talked about that, right? The methodio, the schemes, and he waits and he lures and he makes 10-year, five-year plans to take you out. And, and that's why it's so important. And that's where Saul missed out on. And that's what Samuel was trying 
to communicate to him. Because King Saul, that day, in the text of 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, had a moment where Samuel turned to Saul, and he said this, Dude, because of your rebellion, because you rationalized it, and you justified it, and you didn't change your direction, you didn't repent and go in the opposite direction, here's the results of this. The kingdom is going to be ripped away from you, says the Lord, and you're no longer going to be king, bro. And I've come to tell you this bad news. Now, I want you to know that King Saul did end up living most of his life as the king, but he was not respected and he was not honored for the remainder of his days. And and if you're not familiar with the story, David, a shepherd's boy, was eventually raised up. And David, folks, became king. And right here, we have a powerful, powerful picture of the gap between God's declarations and decisions and the deliverance, folks, upon those promises. Like, if you didn't catch that, Samuel came to Saul and said, King Saul, God says you're no longer going to be king, and you're going to be, and the kingdom's going to be ripped. Yet, Saul lived for quite some time as king and probably thought he was getting off the hook. And there's a gap sometimes between God, what God says and when God activates, but it doesn't mean God is not moving in action. Uh, Okay, okay, folks, it's so important that we don't confuse the patience and the timing of God when we sin with his passive agreement. I'm going to say that to you again. Never confuse the patience and the timing of God when we sin and his passive agreement. We, we talked about that last week. We should definitely not try to fabricate our next move by looking to shooting stars or making up false narratives just because God doesn't move or act or respond as quickly as we deem he should. Okay, so let me tell you uh, one more story about rebellion to paint this picture of how big of a deal this is to God. So let's talk about Moses, folks, in the wilderness for those, those 40 years. Okay, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Okay, okay, so Moses was leading the children of Israel for 40 years. And, and one time, God, God comes up to him and says, Hey, Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to go strike this rock as hard as you can, and, and water's going to flow from it, and this is going to be a symbol to my people that I will always take care of them. I, I see that they're hungry, and right now that they're thirsty. Strike the rock, let that be my symbol. Okay, so what do you think Moses did? He went over and he struck the rock and water gushed out. Miracle! And, and, then, a, and then a few years later, the people ran out of water again. Uh, and, and just for a moment, they, they've, been, they've been having water and mana the whole time, but just for a moment, they ran out of water and, and, and they grew hostile and, and they were all bent out of shape and they were arguing and screaming and, at Moses and complaining about what they needed, all while being filled with idolatry at this time. And, and God, folks, right in that moment, decided to have compassion on them again. So he told Moses this time around to go speak to the rock. He says, Moses, go speak to the rock. He, he wanted Moses to say some very important things, you know, to advance things forward and to keep things moving with kingdom-focused intentionality. But instead, folks, Moses came down the mountain super angry at the people for questioning God and, and all their hostility, engaging in all the idolatry, and he does some kind of teenage Hello, mutant ninja turtle striking at the rock and hits the rock twice this time instead of one time while rebuking 
the people, folks, while rebuking the Israelites. And do you know what came out of that rock when he did that? A whole bunch of water gushed out of it again, and, and, and the people started rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. Like, can't you see, folks? God is relentless in his pursuit for his people despite our rebellion. Moses didn't do what God said to do, but God still provided water for his people. But let me show you. And after the water came out that second time, and after the party was over, and all the, all the screaming and the celebrating was over, God pulls Moses to the side and he says, Hey Moses, come here. I want to talk to you for a second. Remember when I told you to go speak to the rock? You remember that? And Moses was like, uh, yeah. Okay, well, instead of doing what, what I asked you to do and what I commanded you to do, you rebelled. You rebelled, Moses, and you chose to strike the rock two times. And you did it. You did it out of anger. And, and, and here's the thing, my son. You did it all wrong. That's not what I called you to do. You went in the opposite direction of what I was wanting you to do. You fabricated the next move according to your mindset. You you rationalized and you justified your actions and, and thought they deserved it. And you went on your own. And you went ahead of me. But in my love and in my compassion and grace for you and my people, I still chose, Moses, to provide this water. To your people. But but then God, folks, then God looked intently at Moses and said, But here's the problem. You made me look, Moses, like I'm belligerent, belligerent, and, and angry and mad and, and hostile. But but I'm not mad, Moses. I'm a happy and I'm a loving God. And I'm pursuing my people. And as a result, people, Moses, even two thousand years from now, are gonna attach your energy, in your disposition, in your anger, and they're going to attach that to me as well. This rebellion will lead people to believe that this era of the Old Testament, I was a wrathful God, and I was devoid of the capacity and the desire to offer second chances. But Moses, the truth is you were lacking the capacity to offer second chances. And because you misrepresented me, this is what happens, folks. This is what happens when we represent God. And because you, so God is saying, because you misrepresented me and because of your rebellion, unfortunately, you're not going to see the promised land, Moses. And, and, and I'm telling you that today. Moses, after 40 years of walking, you're going to come right to the edge of the promised land that you've been working towards. But because of your rebellion and because I need to set a really important precedent for people for many, many generations to come, they're going to come after you. You're not going to enter the promised land. Oh man, okay, track with me, people of God, as we work through this. Why was God making this such a big deal? Like, why is God being so weird and so specific and so, oh my gosh, controlling about whether Moses struck the rock or spoke to the rock or licked the rock? Like, who cares, God? You're Why are you making things such a big deal? Why are you being so specific? Like, both seem kind of weird anyway, right? Talking to rocks, striking rocks, speaking. I mean, like, what's all this commotion about? I think we often think that when we read stories like this, particularly in the Old Testament, and we want to know God. God, what's the purpose? Okay, well, the Bible teaches us that in the New Testament, that that rock 
that rock that followed them in the wilderness? Folks, it was Jesus. It symbolized Jesus. It was a very, very important foreshadowing picture. And, and the first time the rock was struck by Moses, it was symbolizing and foreshadowing that Jesus would be struck by God on behalf of humanity at the cross. Oh, it's getting deep now. And it was on that cross that Jesus would be the rock that would pay the costly price for our costly rebellion. And yet, the, the second time God instructed Moses to speak to the rock and not strike the rock, it was because he was painting a second picture and foreshadowing that afterwards we would have access to him through Jesus. But I'm just, but I'm not done yet. Keep, keep leaning in. Pay attention. But God wanted it to be crystal clear that Jesus would be struck and crucified and punished only once. Only once would Jesus need to do this for us. Are you seeing how deep these implications are now? And, and Jesus rose from the dead and he now lives victoriously like the conquering king that he is on the right hand of the Father. Of the Father. And folks, in order for us to get what we need from God, Jesus, the rock, doesn't need to be struck anymore. Jesus was already struck. He doesn't need to be crucified again. No more sacrifices is necessary is what God wants us to know. That's the message of the cross. That's the gospel. The cross, Jesus, the resurrection, it worked. It worked. Instead, now, because the rock has already been struck, we can now go speak to the rock, praise Christ. Because of Jesus, we have access to the Father, and the water now flows freely. It doesn't stop. Oh, man, it's without interruption. The rock, our Jesus, our conquering king, he endured and he paid the price one time and we don't need it anymore. Oh, man, like, can't you see? God's ways and God's orders, God's providence, God's love. God was doing something beyond the sight of Moses and beyond the understanding of Moses and beyond the knowledge of Moses and beyond the time period of Moses and beyond the plans that even Moses that Moses had, folks. He didn't explain all the details to Moses, but he definitely had important reasons for what he was asking of Moses, and that's why he was requiring exact obedience. And this rebellion was such a big deal to God because Jesus doesn't need to be struck twice. Only once. Once was enough. It was such a big deal because he knew 2,000 years later that we would have sin and we would have shame and, and we would have our fears about the legitimacy and the lasting power of the cross. And he knew that we would constantly try to save ourselves and legalize our religion and, and our works and our efforts and punish ourselves and to punish ourselves and to punish ourselves. And, and God knew this radically. And he said, no, Moses, strike it one time, not twice. Once gives us access to speak to the rock. Oh, man, don't you ever forget that, people of God. Okay, so when we look at Jesus and, and we look at God and, and we think he's mad and, and simply reverts to being hostile and, and we act like Moses going around hitting stuff, we mess up the whole picture 
about who our God is. Are you tracking with me? That's why you and I need to land the plane on the glad reality that when God says to do something, and God says to set something down or to pick something up, there's always a deeper reason and a another season attached to what he's asking us to do 100% of the time. I'm going to say it to you again. That's why we must land the plane on the glad reality that when God tells you and me to set something down or to pick something up, there's always a deeper reason and another season attached to what he's asking us to do. A hundred percent of the time. Folks, our God is not trying to have a high control and micromanage our lives. That's not how he acts. Like, even if that's what you do to your own kids, that's not how our God treats us. He has infinitely critical reasons for everything he's asking of us, and we must, we got to trust him. And, and I'm sure if, come on, track with me. Let's just be logical. I'm sure if, if Moses would have known the far-reaching implications of, of what, what his decisions were going to do and what God was trying to do in the background, like, he would have never done that. He would have never done his own thing. But, but here's the thing. Part of God's reasoning was running deeper than what Moses could see. And that moment, instead of doing the work to discern and, and to pursue God for understanding, like, God, wh why are you asking me to do this? And what are you trying to show me and teach me? Instead of pursuing God in that way, he operated with his feelings and what he thought was best. And he didn't account for the veiled parts, right? He forgot that there's veiled parts that he couldn't see, but, but, but may also be at play from God's perspective. And far too often, that's how we act too, isn't it? Like, like we skip all the what about what God might be doing, and, and, and we just skip the obedience part, and we skip the compliant part, and we say, God, if you would just tell me what it is, I would be more obedient and compliant, but I don't get it, so I'm going to fabricate my, my next move. But that's not how it works. From God's kingdom economy, folks. God doesn't owe us full explanations. Are you with me? Instead, he gives us kingdom-focused commands and promises that they're good. I'm going to tell you that again. God does not owe us full explanations. Instead, he gives us kingdom-focused commands, and he promises us that is good. And, and this leads us to our a very important takeaway, and it's, it's on your screen. Everything God asks of us in Scripture has both an obvious part, a deeper part, and a veiled part to play in his plans and purpose, purposes for us as the people of God. The obvious parts are the things that we can see easily. The deeper parts are the things we can discern and learn as we mature in Christ. And the veiled parts are the things we may never know, but sometimes are granted a sneak peek into at God-ordained times. So when we rebel, it often is because we resist submitting to the obvious parts that we can see or the deeper parts that we don't pursue or the veiled parts we don't trust. Therefore, we should obey the Lord, always holding all three of these truths in tension. Okay, so, so let me put it to you this way simply. 
Some of you today are engaging in major rebellion, and some are engaging in some micro-rebellion in your lives. There's, there's some area, macro or micro, right now that you're not willing and you're refusing to take to the next level. Think with me now and put that in your mind. What's that area that you're not submitting to, you're not offering up, and you're not allowing yourself to go to the next level that God is calling you to? And, and we just don't want to answer that phone call, do we, that God's calling us with. But folks, God wants you to know that his will is infinitely important and that we need to answer that phone call. We just do. Now, now last week, I unpacked the fact that God's words and God's commands are not burdensome, 1 John chapter 5. And, and I'm only reminding you about that today, again, because I so desperately need you to know that the commands of the Lord and the things that he's asking of you are better than life. They're better than anything that you can manufacture and fabricate for yourself. Just consider Adam and Eve with me one more time, because it's literally the all-time perfect illustration. They both had everything, everything that they could possibly need. Glad obedience without regret was theirs in a way that we have never experienced on this side of Eden. Are you tracking with me? They didn't just have glad obedience. They had glad obedience without any regret in a way we've never experienced now that sin has entered the world. But folks, Satan came in with a lie, and he challenged whether they truly had everything they needed. But folks, he also challenged the fact of, is obedience really something that can be pleasurable? And Eve just began to believe that lie and entertain those questions more and more. Folks, she developed an attitude and an action, and Adam allowed it to go unchecked by God's word. And the results, as we've studied many times, right? It, it was devastating for them and for us and for all of humanity. Like, like, can't you see? It's a battle of the mind to radically believe what God declares is true, that it is true. It's a battle of our minds, and it affects our hearts. And, and that leads us to two very important principles that I want to unpack today. So, so let's deal with the first one right now. It's, it's on your screen. Number one, this is so important. The longer an attitude or an action goes unchecked or uncorrected, the harder it is to reverse course towards the Lord. Folks, the longer you keep going in the wrong direction and doing the wrong things and saying the wrong things and having the wrong attitude, it's, it becomes harder and harder to find your way back to the Lord. So if you've been messing around with an attitude or you've been messing around with, with an action that's against the Lord, you need to deal with it today. Make it today. If you haven't been answering the Lord's, the Lord's phone call, pick it up today. Remember, I don't care if it's been a day or, or a month or a week or it's been years. You have the opportunity in Christ, to pick up that phone call today. And, and listen, if you don't pick up that call that God is asking of you, God will most definitely intensify the storms in your life to get your attention. And it doesn't have to be that way. Okay, here's the, here's the second principle. No matter how hard you run or rebel, God runs and rebels even harder. 
Pay attention. No matter how fast you think you can run away from the Lord, God has a plan to meet you there every single time. Whether that's through a fish or through a storm or a group of people, he has a way to get to you. You can't outrun him. And, and I can tell you right now, personally within my, my own story, I am definitely someone who's been apprehended by God in my own Jonah rebellious seasons that I've had. And, and he rescued me, and he did that through, through loving discipline. But, but the good news is he found me, and he didn't abandon me. The good news is that he restored me, and he didn't, with finality, condemn me. And the most beautiful thing is he's continuing to restore me and to make me in the image of his son, despite how I fall short. And he'll do the same for you if you lean into that reality. Now, now last week, we worked our way through a deep dive of, of verses one through four, if you remember in, in part three, but we ended up going just a little bit faster than I wanted, specifically in verse three. And, and there are some really important things that I really wanted us to really get in some life application ways that we're going to do today. So we're going to start to really comb through the text just one more time, and we're going to see all these little intricacies that I believe God has for us as we enter into our last dive of, of chapter one today. So, so let's take good notes and, you know, right on the sides of your papers, let this go, let go crazy today and be amazing student learners because we have so much in between the lines of these, of these verses because our God, he's big. Okay, so, so let's do this now. Uh, Jonah chapter one, verse three, it's, it's on your screen. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Okay. So, so from a macro perspe um, perspective regarding the story of Jonah, Jonah generally, I want you to get this, Jonah generally is actually fleeing more from the call to go to Nineveh and to preach. Do you, do you see that? Do you see that in the text? He literally was, was trying to go away from this call specifically to, to Nineveh. But, but here, specifically in verse 3, I want you to see this. I'm going to put this back on your screen right now. Contextually, like when it's actually being penned by the author at this point in the story, the author is actually exposing the root of the issue of Jonah's whole situation, and therefore our own as well. And it's, it's very deep, because here's the thing. The reality is, Jonah is not only fleeing from the call of God on his life to go to Nineveh. Folks, he's actually fleeing from the actual presence of God in his life in general. And folks, there's a real difference between the two. And, and it's so fundamentally absurd. It's absurd that he would want to leave the presence, the actual presence of God, because the Bible screams loudly all over Scripture about the presence of God and, and what that means for you and me in some really beautiful, beautiful ways. Okay, so here I want to really pastor you today, right here in, in verse 3, and I, I want to really expose the root of all rebellion against the Lord by Jonah and therefore us. This is the root underneath it all for us. Like, yeah, pastor, you're right. I got a macro rebellious spirit or a micro one, but what's the root system? What is it? Okay, here it is. It's on. It's on your screen. 
the root of rebellion is in essence a dissatisfaction in the presence of the Lord. Repeat after me because we're going to school now. The root of rebellion is in essence a dissatisfaction in the presence of the Lord. Okay, lean in. Okay, so how does someone become dissatisfied with the presence of the Lord? How do you get there? Like, does it happen by God letting you down or perhaps God hurting you in some way or, or, or God attacking you? Like, like, how do we get here? How do we get to a point where we're dissatisfied in the presence of the Lord? Like, has he disappointed us or, or, or done something? Like, what is your story and how, did you, how do you think you've arrived to being dissatisfied in the Lord, which is the root system of your, your rebellious heart? Okay, well, let me answer this question for you with some gospel truth. And I want to really pastor in a real way today. Okay, here it is. The world has disappointed you, not God. The world has hurt you, not God. The world has attacked you in real ways, not God. Sin and the world, they've they failed you and abandoned you, not God. And you need to start to speak that truth over those lies in your heart that God is the perpetrator of those things because it's creating a root system that's leading to a rebellious heart and it leads you to a destination that you don't want people of God because there's some pain in this room. I know there's some pain in this room right now as those who are listening to this sermon and that pain that has not been dealt with at the cross, that pain that you're not taking to the cross is going to lead to rebellion in your heart and in your actions because you're going to blame God for your situation. Are you tracking with me? And I guarantee you that your situation is filled with pain and disappointment and trials. But here, Pastor Brennan, today, it's not God's fault. Okay? It's not God's fault. So, so when you rebel, it's because you're dissatisfied with the Lord's presence in your life for a very specific reason, and you need to do the hard work of facing that reason. I, I don't understand. Folks, I've spent years pastoring people, mentoring people, coaching people one-on-one, -on -one, and I hear about their sin and their shame and their decisions. They ruin their marriages. And it always comes down to a dissatisfaction with who they are or what they're not getting and, and what God's not providing. And then they try to solve it on their own. But, but that's crazy. So when you rebel, it's because you're dissatisfied in the Lord. And you've got a reason. But are you going to pursue that reason and take it to the cross? Because for so many people, we we rather just run away from God and run away from his presence. And we do, we, uh, I'm sorry, we then substitute our relationship with God trying to satisfy ourselves because we believe he's being too stingy to provide the things that we need. So, so I want you to, to know, and I want you to work through that today because the real deal is about the presence of the Lord. And the real deal is that the presence of the Lord is a beautiful thing and a, and a God-glorifying thing and a game-changing blessing for your life. Because, because the Bible says in Psalms, this is legit, because the Bible says in Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is the fullness of joy. At the right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Like, are you kidding me? In God's presence is the fullness of joy? The fullness? Anybody not want the fullness of joy today? Like, in the Bible also says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not, anyone who does not love does not know God because he is love. Wow. So, so therefore, in the presence of God is the fullness of love because he is love. Does anybody not want the fullness of love? These are the promises of God. I'm just reading them to you. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So, so therefore, Jesus is the perfect counselor. And, oh, by the way, he's just the Prince of Peace. Oh, man, good night. So, so in God's presence, we have the fullness of peace and the perfect counselor for every situation we're ever going to have in our lives. Like, does anybody not want the fullness of peace and a counselor that's ready for us whenever we need one? Okay, so, so let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Track with me. In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy and the fullness of love and the fullness of peace and the fullness of someone who could meet us right where we're at, radically know our heart in the ways that we want to be known in the most intimate ways to help us through any and every circumstance and serves as our perfect and wonderful counselor like who in all of the universe wouldn't want to be in the presence of someone who boasts that type of a resume? Like, who wouldn't want that? I'm going to tell you who doesn't want that. Far too often, we don't want that. Oftentimes, we don't want to be in the presence of the Lord, despite that he carries that resume. It's, it's almost as if, like, this is crazy. It's almost as if we say, uh, uh, no, thank you. I, I really just want to downgrade from this awesomeness that's available to me in the, in the presence of the Lord. Like, like, do you have something less amazing to offer me, perhaps, God? Like, something that will cost me so much more? Like, do you have something really expensive, um, something really painful, something really confusing, something really rotten, you know, filled with a bunch of wrong things, full of death? Like, something like that? That's how we, folks, that's how we often act. And, and like I told you two weeks ago, Satan challenged Adam and Eve and said, are you really, really sure? Are you really sure you're doing good? Are you really having everything you need? You really like this, this God character? <laughs> but folks, if they would have just paused for a moment and looked around just for a moment to evaluate the legitimacy of Satan's question, they would have said, yes, yes, I am good. We're good. He's, he's good. Like, come over here, little serpent. Look at this, and look at that beauty, and look at that wonder, and look at that star, and look at this plush plant, and, and look at him. He's our God. He walks around here in the garden every day, and if you don't believe it, why don't you go talk to him yourself? God's right over there, but, but we struggle so deeply every single day with this same lie that Satan activates over them and activates over us. So, so when God wants us to get up a little bit earlier from bed and to memorize the scriptures and to meditate and to, and to worship on his precepts, we often just want to sleep a little bit better because, because we think that's, 
that's that's better for us. Or when God wants us to seek him and to go on a maybe a, a morning prayer walk on a beautiful a beach in, in perhaps the, the state of Oregon and, and that he's created for us to walk on. Instead, we want to stay home and we want to just kind of scroll through our Facebook because that's that's more pleasurable. And, and when God wants us to go love on our neighbors and, and show them kindness and invite them to church and bake them a pie and invite them over for a, a, a simple, modest, but, but love-filled dinner, we'd, we'd rather stay home and, and just kind of stick to ourselves and do something different because it's, it's better to us. And we believe all these stupid lies, all these stupid lies, and we just rebel and rebel and rebel in all these, in all these little and in big ways. And so let me say it again. The root of all rebellion is a dissatisfaction in the presence of the Lord and the things he's asking us to do. It, it's, it's, it's basically looking at God and his kingdom-focused commands and his kingdom-focused plans and his kingdom-focused picture of how life should be, how marriage should be, how, how children, b- raising your children should be, how the workplace should be. And we go, I don't like it. It's not as good. That's what it means. I'm dissatisfied with your plan, God. But, but let me tell you, the gospel truth right now, God has never disappointed you. He's never hurt you. He's never let you down. And his plan and his purposes are most definitely the best life you could have. They're filled with the most love, the most joy, the most peace, and the most <laughs> excitement that you can have this side of heaven. So you need to cut out the noise and be a kingdom warrior that God has called you to be and get armored up and say, no, no, no. What you're preaching to me, Satan, is not true. Joy and peace and love and satisfaction is found in my God. And there's nowhere else. And there's no one else I'd rather be with praise Christ. And the next time you're tempted to compromise or to sacrifice or be mediocre or or to let down or to let up, just try not to do that this time. Instead, choose the Lord. And I guarantee you, you will be blessed in infinite amount of ways, supremely and wildly beyond your expectations in God's timing, though, folks. That's the key. But, But unfortunately, Jonah didn't make that call because he didn't feel it. And you may be there right now. Okay, Pastor Brandon, I hear all this, and I, and, I, and I read all this, and I see what God says, and I see how you're preaching the word faithfully, but I don't feel that. It's like it's foreign to me. God says he's the fullness of love, but it doesn't feel like it. God says he's the fullness of peace, but it doesn't feel like it. It's words on a book, but it ain't active in my heart. Well, folks, Jonah felt the same way, and he didn't make that call. And as a result, he fled from Tarshish, and and he went in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, he made some really bad decisions, and it led him down a path that he didn't want to end up on, and it it really ruined, folks. It ruined his life. So, So here's one of four ways that you can also ruin your life if that's what you, if that's what you really want. I'm gonna, I'm gonna unpack these for you today. Here we go. Number one, If you really want to ruin your life, just leave the presence of the Lord and try to get away from him as fast as you can. That's that's all you got to do. Like, if you really don't want to, tap out. Just tap out and say, you know what, God? I don't like your, I don't like your presence. I'm dissatisfied with it. Your plans, your ways, how how Ephesians unpacks what family should be. I don't want any part of it. I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm gonna go as fast as I can, folks. That's all you have to do, and you will see where that leads you. But let me give you a second option. Here's a here's a second way that you can literally ruin your life if that's what you what, what you want to do. Number two, if you want to ruin your life, just keep downgrading your surroundings. 
That's all you got to do. Just downgrade your surroundings. Let me show you in the text right now. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Okay, so let's just talk about geography for a moment. If we want to downgrade our surroundings and go in the wrong direction, because that's what Jonah was choosing to do. So let's talk about geography. So, so if you're in Jerusalem and, and you need to get down, because that's where Jonah was, and, and you need to go down to, to Joppa, you're going to need to walk around 20 miles to get there. Now, I've been doing a lot of exercise lately, and I'm walking sometimes up to eight or nine and at the most 10 miles a day, broken up over two or three times. And I can tell you that's, that's pretty exhausting. So, so if you took a trip 20 miles to Joppa, I think we all can agree that you would be feeling it physically. You would know that's a pretty hard and arduous walk. And so as you arrive in Joppa, you would know that you just did something that was pretty strenuous and, and pretty hard. Okay, well, Jonah knew that he was working overtime. His body was telling him, I'm sure he had cramps in his legs, that he was going far out of the way, sweating in the opposite direction just to get to Joppa. And as soon as Jonah got to Joppa, all of a sudden he probably was like, wow, this, this place smells pretty pretty funny. It's very different than Jerusalem. It's, it's like a fishing town, and this is not my normal Jerusalem experience. And, and there's, there's an awful lot of uh, mm, awful, a lot of Gentiles here, and I don't really see people like this, and it's really busy and chaotic, and, and I'm not used to really anything that I see around me. And, and I bet you that his amber alert system, folks, was going off like crazy in his heart because Jonah was ignoring what God was calling him to do. And folks, I, I, I guarantee you, Jonah knew it. And that's, that's no bueno. So, so what about you? Like, have you ever been in a situation where, where you are somewhere you're not supposed to be and you feel that, that fish, you feel that amber alert system going off and you feel like a fish out of water? You know, that, that funny feeling when you know it's like awkward and you're not supposed to be there, that, that, that uncomfortable energy you have and, and you feel like the presence of the Lord telling you you're not supposed to be here and you don't belong here and you're not on mission here, but you kind of go shh, shh, shh and you kind of try to wave it off. Have you ever felt like you're in somewhere you're not supposed to be and you can clearly tell that you've lost your way, you've made decisions and you've compromised yourself and you're feeling guilty, but you feel paralyzed like you can't move? Because I have. But God, I remember being 19 or 20 years old and I was just getting into ministry, yet I was a very young man, and, and, I, and I felt like I was like losing some of my friends and the way we used to hang out, and so I decided that I wanted to go to a, a house party um, and, and, and smoke some cigars and hang out, and they were doing some beer pong, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be drinking. I'm only going to try a couple cigars. Um, I'm going to just be, you know, I'm going to be a good Christian there, and I, I kind of rationalized, and I justified my presence being there, and so I went to this, this house party because I had missed my friends, and I felt like I was, you know, growing up so fast, and I'm, being, I'm so mature, being a pastor, all these different things, and so I, I went to this party, and folks, I was only there for 30 minutes, and I felt so uncomfortable, and it wasn't because I was doing it, anything wrong. I didn't even end up wanting to do the drinking of the cigars, and no matter how much I tried to laugh and play and entertain and do what I wanted to do, which was to be amongst them, I, I just kept hearing this, this whisper and this whisper, and it was like, Brandon, you specifically aren't supposed to be here. I have somewhere else for you to be. And folks, it took me like two hours, but I eventually said, I, I got to go. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. Okay. So let's keep tracking. Here's, here's a third way, a third way you can, you can ruin your life. 
um, just for anyone who wants to know how to do that. Here we go. If you want to ruin your life, simply justify everything, everything that you do. Oh, man, because Jonah is down in Joppa, and he knows he doesn't belong there, but he tells himself, you know what? Maybe it's not a big deal because uh, there's a ship here. They're looking for someone, and, and, and I need a boat, and they're offering to sell a ticket for the boat. Maybe, maybe that means it's, it's okay for me to be here. And the Bible says that, indeed, these men allowed Jonah on, on the boat. And I don't know if he found this boat through, through BoatFinder.com or eBoat Harmony or whatever he was doing, but all of a sudden, what I do know is that he found an opening to justify his actions. Let me say it to you again. All I do know is that Jonah found an opening to justify his actions. So if you want to go away from the call of God and the commands of God in your life, just know that you're not going to have to work that hard to find a way to do it. Don't think that the path of easiest resistance means that God is okay with it. Because it's always easy to walk away from the Lord because Satan is, the, this is the devil's playground in this world, and he's, he has a, a million infinite schemes to pull you away. Because a job will open up, but, but you're not really praying about it, and you're, and you're not really listening to God about it. And you'll say things like this, uh, I guess I'll just take the job. I mean, it's, it, it's giving me a promotion. It's going to pay me more money. Everybody needs a good, a good upgrade. And then you have people in your corner saying, okay, yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's not a bad thing to take this job. If they're going to offer you more money, of course God's will, and God is going to permit that. But folks, of course it's not inherently a bad thing to take a job. Of course it's not an inherently bad thing to accept a promotion. But, but neither was visiting Joppa. That's not illegal, and that's not a sin, and, and neither was paying the legal fare for the boat that he legally paid for to go on that boat from Joppa. That, that isn't inherently a sin either. It's not a bad thing. Like, nothing Jonah was doing was unfair or illegal at all. But I want you to know that Satan will provide you with plenty of ways that aren't inherently bad and aren't inherently sinful in and of themselves, but they will be incredibly distracting and sometimes sinful and specifically bad for you. Are you tracking? And if you don't train yourself to tune out his voice and to increase your appetite for God's voice, you're going to justify whatever action you need to take to get away from the will of the Lord if it doesn't line up with what your flesh desires. Okay, so, so here's a really important principle that I want you to think through right now about your life as we kind of camp out on all, these, on all these subjects. Here it is. It's on your screen. Just because it's ready and just because it's available to you, it doesn't mean it's right. And just because the doors are open doesn't mean God opened them. Repeat after me. Use your I want you to use your voice right now, you amazing student leaders, and let your heart hear this. Repeat after me. Just because it's ready and available doesn't mean it's right. And just because the doors are open doesn't mean God opened them. Like, like, have you ever found open doors in your life and consider that perhaps Satan is the author of them and he's trying to get you screwed up? Do you ever think of it through that way? Is that a category for you, that an open door could be from Satan? Like, have you ever considered that perhaps Satan is the one that's opened it up, and this offer of plush and attractive and seamless 
harmless door is a distraction to deter you and to destroy you from the father of all lies. Let me give an example again from my own life. Later on in my pastorate, when I was like 25 or 26, I had the glad opportunity to play professional basketball for a league called the ABA that was expanding in the local city where I was preaching and teaching in. Folks, when this opportunity came to make some really good money, everyone was telling me to do it. I was a coach um, on, on part-time. I was a coach in a local high school. All my players were like, do it, do it, do it, coach, do it, coach. All, I had many people in my family saying, take that opportunity. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. You should do it. You should do it. I even talked with some people in, in my church, and they're like, you know, of course you have to do that. Anybody would do it. If somebody got an opportunity to play professional sports, anybody would take this opportunity of a lifetime. But unlike what I did when I was younger at 19 at that party, this time I activated my spirit-filled position, and I sought God, and I, and I listened for God's voice above the noise, and God's voice above the culture. And I said, God, what would you have me to do here? And folks, over time, God, he made that path known to me, and he made it clear to me, and he gave me a readiness and a, and a peace in my heart. And I, and I said, I'm not going to take this offer. And, and everybody thought I was crazy. Now, now this is how the story goes. It doesn't always work this way, but let me tell you how the story goes. Less than two years later, this whole ABA expansion team would collapse. It would collapse, folks. Do you see the ripple effects? I could have walked away from a career that God had for me to, to preach his gospel, something I'm doing now 15 years, and I could have walked away from it with something that was not going to last. And then where would I have been? Okay, so let's just keep tracking because here's the fourth way, though, that you can ruin your life in case you still want to be rebellious. I got a blueprint for you to activate your rebellious desires. Here it is, number four. If you want to ruin your life, just finance it and then do what you want to do anyway. Because that's what Jonah did. That's what Jonah did. He somehow got the money and somehow he figured it out. Now, now maybe he was wealthy, but but most likely, you know, um, historians and theologians don't think so. They it, most likely he he borrowed that money. But the bottom line is Jonah found a way and he figured it out and he forced a door open. But but I want you to know that when you do things your way and you go the long way and the belly of the whale way like Jonah, you're always going to pay more than the bill at face value. And I promise there's always going to be hidden fees. But when you do things God's way, here's the, here's the good news, folks. When you do things God's way, he always picks up the entire bill. And any hidden fees we never experience because he picks up that bill as well. That's that's really good news. And, and you may have already experienced times in your life where you're like, man, I really thought the Lord was leading me to make such and such financial decision. But now I'm in this really bad situation. I'm extending myself and I'm overexerting myself and, and I don't know how I got here. Okay, pay attention. Uh, I don't know what conversation you were having with the Lord when you were trying to try to figure out what he was asking you to do about that financial decision. But, but what I will tell you, based on all of my time pastoring and working with people, people in financial situations after they chose to do things their own way, I can tell you this. All of a sudden, when that bill came in and that overdraft became real, all of a sudden they were in my office and they, and they said things like this. Maybe this sounds familiar. I need your help. I really screwed up. I knew deep down in my heart that I couldn't afford to make that purchase, but I ignored it and I did it anyway. Folks, that's the truth. Deep down, we knew. We knew we should have made that purchase. 
we knew we did the wrong thing. We knew we should have got the cheaper thing and not the more expensive thing. We knew we should have got nothing and not something, but we, we did it anyway. Because all of a sudden, when they get the bill, and when you get the bill, and we deal with the pain, the pain of our decision, then we want to go, oh, shoot, I screwed up now. And, and we all have that, that little voice inside of us, right? We all got that little voice, that little, that little whisper voice telling us we shouldn't do something. Don't do it. And it's usually in the small stuff, not the big macro stuff. It's the small stuff, the little purchase over here, and the little decision over there. And the little voice says, don't do it, as opposed to something overtly maybe sinful. But the Lord is telling you, that little voice, it's me, it's me, listen to me. That whisper is me. But so often we tell ourselves that it's not a big deal and it's, and it's not illegal and we just want it and it doesn't matter. But the reality is God is training you in these little seemingly micro rebellious moments to listen to his voice that sometimes will lead you in the opposite direction of normative cultural reasoning and compassionately ferociously towards the opportunity of peculiar and strange obedience according to kingdom, kingdom principles. Let me say it to you again. God is training us in these macro moments where we can be rebellious or submitted to listen to his voice that sometimes is trying to lead us in the opposite direction of normative, acceptable, cultural reasons that the world says is fine to compassionately, ferociously lead us into an opportunity to be obedient in peculiar and strange ways because they're kingdom-focused ways and they're different than this world because God would rather have your obedience than your sacrifice. We talked about that before, right? Let me say it to you again. God would rather have your obedience, not your sacrifice. He just wants you to listen to him and to trust him so supremely. Okay, so, so when the Lord whispers to you over, over little stuff, he's providing you with an opportunity to tune the muscle of obedience and to tune the muscle of proper response to him and the situation that you're in that might occur in your life. And, and this is so critical. Lean in with me. It's so critical because when big things happen in your life, like the big job decision comes in and the big career decision comes in and the big person of who you're going to marry, yes or no, or, or this life or death situation arrives, guess what you're going to have in that moment? You're going to have a tuned ear and a ready muscle to obey God in the biggest, most difficult things that every bit of your flesh wants to flee from. But your ready ear and your tuned muscles that have been practiced in these micro opportunities will be armored up and ready for the big moments in your life. Now, now, did you know that rebellion is, is, is a one step at a time thing? It's not a boom, shebang, and you just arrive all of a sudden in the worst thing possible. It's one step at a time. Because if you fast forward to the end of chapter one, and, and you're going to see it, if you've, never see, if you've never read Jonah, and this is your first time today, at the end of chapter one, you're going to see that Jonah ends up sw uh, swallowed whole by a whale. Or, or a fish is how they refer to it at that time. And, and if this is your very first time hearing that, you're probably thinking, wow, that thing's really escalated really quickly. Like, I just, this is my first time hearing Jonah, and the la we just got done talking about verse 4, and he's getting on a boat, I think, and he just paid a fare, and you're telling me at the end of uh, chapter 1 he's going to end up in the belly of a whale? What's going on? It seems like he just arrived 
suddenly in the worst situation in his life. But folks, can't you see? It wasn't out of nowhere. And it wasn't just something that happened overnight. It was one step at a time that Jonah was being rebellious and he was repeating this behavior over and over. Because I promise you, you're never going to meet someone. You're never going to meet someone whose life is in the ditch or their wheels are falling off and it just happened. It just happened out of nowhere, instantaneously. That's, that's not how it works. Trust me, it never really comes down to just one bad decision. I want to make that fact that fact really, really clear today. It's so important. It's so important as we think through how to live our lives. Okay, so so let's do that. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your minds so clear. Folks, arriving in the ditch always happens one step at a time. It's just one glance over there at that computer and it won't be that, that bad. It's just one little smile, one little one little quick flirt over there to that beautiful co-worker and it's it's not it's not a big deal it's just it's just one conversation with some jokes and some laughter as you position yourself closer and that that can't hurt it's just one it's just one little walk around the block shoulder to shoulder it's it's nothing too eventful and the next thing you know boom, you're emotionally and you're sexually hooked and it's just, it's just a quick snooze, right? It's just a quick snooze on the job and taking a few items home from the office without permission. No, no big deal. It's just a one-time thing to take the company vehicle or the company card and to buy a couple little purchases or just to pick your kid up on the way home. It's, it's not a big deal. And the next thing you know, boom, you're stealing both blindly and unconsciously. Or, or maybe it's, it's just a way to wind down the day at the, um, after a long week with a friend and you're, and you're doing things you never thought you would do. But, but it just started with just a little pull over here and a, and a little puff over there and just sting a little bit longer than you need to and just a little touch and, and a little fondo. And the next thing you know, you're in the backseat of a car or you're in the bedroom. And, and listen, no one became an addict overnight either. Don't believe that hype. No one became an addict overnight. And no one goes to jail for laundering money overnight. It happens step by step, decision by decision, one day at a time. Now, now I want you to understand that th this battle, this battle in real ways is a battle between good and evil and, and Satan and God today. Because it's, it's not so much that they're fighting each other the way we often think about it in cartoons and children's church, because God's already won that battle, praise Christ. So, so instead, God is, it's, it's, I mean, excuse me, so, so instead it's more of like they're fighting for our allegiance. God and Satan aren't fighting. God has subdued Satan. He's crushed his head. It's been done. Instead, they're fighting for, they're fighting for our allegiance today. That's that's very deep because God is speaking truth and value and purpose and heaven into your life all the time. He's communicating about your destiny and he's communicating about kingdom living and winning and victory and righteousness. But at the same exact time, Satan from his corner is speaking compromise and mediocrity and sin and selfishness and less and death and earth. And he's urging us to not think of eternity and to think about 
today alone. And so there's this battle going on, and we call it here at our church, the Christian war. And, and as you learn to tune your, um, to, uh, excuse me, as you learn to tune into heaven and say, I really don't want to live a dumb life anymore. When you learn to do that and say, I just don't want to live a dumb life anymore, I apparently have this opportunity to be a part of your nation, God. And because of Jesus, apparently, I'm kind of a big deal now because my God's a big deal. And, and apparently, the Holy Spirit of the whole universe lives inside of me, and I believe that really now counts for something valuable. So I'm going to start making decisions as if I can change the world. Folks, when you start talking like this, we begin to lose that itch that leads us to that ditch. And not only do we become the happiest people on the planet, we sign our allegiance to the kingdom of God instead of signing our allegiance to Satan. And that allegiance to God moves our sinful itch to ditch God's presence to the renewed, spear-filled fix of God's kingdom mentality, and our eyes get fixed on eternity. And, and just like leprosy starts small and, it, and it's seemingly insignificant in its beginning, yet is incurable and destroys lives, so also rebellious once it completely takes hold of you causes heavy, heavy damage, but it doesn't happen overnight. That's what you got to understand. Stop being so comfortable when you take that step in rebellion and think nothing's happening. Something infinitely is happening. And, and, and as soon as you realize it, as soon as it catches up to you, you have already been lured away into the dark, away from God and his presence, where you're more susceptible and Satan knows you can't fight well against him there. And that's why he does it. And that's his point of pulling you into the dark. And our man Jonah found a boat and he thought it was awesome. And, and then he found the money and thought it was a sign shooting stars. And, and then he found, and then he used his charm and his woo to convince the mariners to let him on. And he thought what he was doing was really cute. And, and then he got to the point where he could sleep in the, in the boat in the worst time ever and thought he was being clever. And despite all the apparent ease and all the access that we see Jonah having, and he seems to be happy and doing just fine, Jonah was walking directly into hardship, despair, and agony and he didn't even know it folks that's what's most most sad and though jonah activated all this rebellion do we see god throw his hands up and attempt to kill jonah or or even worse abandon him no instead the bible teaches us that god disciplines the ones he loves most and he was going to lovingly provide a way of restoration for jonah through discipline. And do you know what the difference is between discipline and punishment? There's a big difference, discipline versus punishment. You see, punishment is when a raging, angry parent wants to do to a kid who, uh, excuse me, uh, a punishment is what a raging parent wants to do to a kid who keeps breaking and offending the rules. That's punishment. And, and God God doesn't do that. And, and that's because God already punished and took that anger of a child, which was us, offending and offending over and over again. He took that punishment to Jesus for our sins once. And, and Jesus took on that, that punishment. And, 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 and that's because God the Father 
wanted to do that for us. That was his love and his compassion. Okay, but discipline, discipline is when God looks at you and he looks at me and he looks at our way, our waywardness and he looks at our rebellion and says, okay, okay. I'm going to turn the heat up a little bit and I'm going to create a storm and a well in your life right now, not to punish you, but to get your attention and to bring you back to me. I'm going to be like a good coach. I'm going to be like a good dad. I'm going to be like a good boss. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to set a very stern expectation. And I'm going to activate some spirit-filled discipline to get you where you need to go. That's why God chases you down, folks, and, and calls you out and straightens you up and sits you down and, 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 and addresses you the way he does. All of it is to maximize who you are at the fullest level of the joy and the peace and the love that he wants you to have in your life. So, so avoid rebellion and, and avoid disobedience because prolonged rebellion and, and prolonged disobedience will always lead to storms in your life. Crazy storms. Okay, so let's look at verse 4 again, holding this intention because now Jonah's on the ship and he's sleeping and he's sailing and he's and he's not going in the right direction here. Here it is again. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened, folks, it threatened to break up. Okay, so, so when you think about the fact that God literally threw and hurled a storm at Jonah, what, what, does, that, what does that do to your heart? When you see that God, that God is throwing this storm at Jonah, like, what do you feel? Like, literally, think about it. What do you feel in your heart? Because here's another truth for you to, to, for you to think through today. Sometimes storms don't come because of your rebellion. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. Sometimes storms don't, become, don't come because of your rebellion. Sometimes they come for direction and not just for correction. Let's, let's talk about that. You see, sometimes the storm happens in your life because God is just directing you in order to get you where he wants you to go. Are you tracking? And, and other times God will bring a storm because he wants to protect you. And it's important that you give room for that in your theology of God and in your life and in your part in it. It's not always because you're being rebellious. Sometimes he's protecting you and he's, he's guarding you away from something that can get you really hurt. Because, because someone might be listening right now to this sermon and you're thinking, dang, Pastor Brandon, like to my best ability, I'm being humble. I'm tapping out. I really think I'm actually where God wants me to be. I honestly don't think I'm ignoring God or rebelling from God. But yet I'm still in a crazy storm right now. Like I'm being faithful and I'm taking care of my sick mom and, and then my dad is being rebellious and, and I got three kids at the same time and, and ah, I'm in a storm and, and, I'm, and I'm going to church and I'm being faithful, but I'm in a storm. Like, what does that mean for me? Okay, well, well sometimes the storm isn't for correction. And, and sometimes it's not even for direction. You're not, you, you may be in the right place. Your direction is fine. And sometimes it's not even for protection from something he wants you to avoid. Sometimes, folks, the storm is for perfection. Say that with me again. Sometimes our storms, say it, sometimes our storms are for perfection. Oh, man, because maybe the Lord is saying, I want to do something so amazing in your life out of this difficulty. Like, but I'm going to need you to navigate this storm first so I can sanctify you and purify you and prepare you for what's coming in your future. And right now I'm preparing you for that. 
I'm preparing you for that, my son and my daughter. And, and it's going to be tough, and it's going to be tight, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But, but I want you to start asking me through the difficulty, and I want you to start pursuing me in the uncomfortability and to say, God, what are you teaching me, and what do you want me to do as you perfect me through the storm? Okay, so, so folks, when the storms of life arrive at your doorstep, you need to start asking God some very specific questions like, what do you want me to learn in this storm? Are you directing me? Are you correcting me? Are you protecting me? Or are you prefecting me? All right. These are the four categories of questions that you need to do when you pursue God. I've talked to so many people like, I don't know how to pray. How do I pray to God about my situation? Here you go. These are the four main questions to ask God in a storm. God, are you directing me? God, are you correcting me because of my sin? God, are you protecting me from someone else or something else? Or God, are you perfecting me for what you have for me next? Direction, correction, protection, and perfection are the instruments that God does when he wills a storm or allows a storm in our lives. So ask the Holy Spirit and meditate upon God's word and invite trusted brothers and sisters in Christ to help you interpretate your specific storm and then tell the Lord, yes, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you're calling me to do out of this direction. No matter what I wanted to do, I can clearly see this is the direction you want me to go, and the storm saying not to go the other way, and I'm going to trust you. Yes, Lord, I surrender to this correction. I'm wrong. I tap out. I was being a zero, but you're being a radically relentless saving hero. I'm sorry for sinning. I'm sorry for rebelling. Thank you for the storm of correction. Yes, Lord, I surrender. Thank you for the storm of protection. I was really trying to go in this direction I wasn't supposed to, but you closed the door aggressively, and now I heard what happened to such and such and, and what they did and where they ended up in the ditch, and you protected me, and I praise you for the protection. Yes, Lord, I surrender for the storm of perfection. Though it's uncomfortable, I believe you're preparing me for something great. This is how we walk through our storms. Okay, let's, let's look at the, the first half, at least, of, of verse 5. It's, it's on your screen. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Okay, so here's another important principle for you to remember, and, and let me just tell you right now, this sermon is packed with them. So I hope you're writing all this stuff down. There's so much here that's life applica um, applicable for you. But here it goes. It's, it's going to be on your screen. Here's the important principle for the effect of personal rebellion. Your sin and your rebellion doesn't just affect you. It affects others. Wow. It affects others. And this is particularly, folks, an important principle for, for moms and dads and for teenagers and for really everyone, because your actions are going to affect your friends, and it's going to affect your spouse, and it's going to affect your kids, it's going to affect your community members, it's going to affect your coworkers. Every person you're attached to is going to be affected by your personal sin. Your sin and your immaturity and your lack of obedience is not just going to hurt you. It's going to affect everyone around you. 
Don't allow Satan to make that lie to you. We, t- we really camped out on that last week. Oh, it's no big deal. It's just me. It's never just you. The Bible says that we're all connected as one body with many members, Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, if one part of the body has a problem, we all got a problem. And we don't want your problem, brother or sister. So-and-so. So if you still need any more reason to stop fighting against the Lord and you can't activate that for yourself or for the most important reason, for the glory of God, hey, how about you start doing it for your spouse one time? Just do it for your kid one time. Do it for your friend. Do it for your church community. Do it for someone. Are you tracking? Because the people in this boat with Jonah all of a sudden find themselves afraid and confused and taking on heavy loads of this storm. And, and their boat is broken up and their, and their cargo, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cargo, is sinking to the bottom of the oceans. And they find themselves immensely struggling because of something Jonah did. Let's look at verse 5 again. Let's finish unpacking that. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to line it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Like, don't you just want to slap my man Jonah around a little bit? Like, can you imagine the captain going down there, probably looking for certain tools or anything that can help him through this storm, and he finds Jonah down here sleeping? Like, this isn't a normal storm. This is like an earth-shattering storm, and you got a grown, able-bodied man sleeping at the bottom of the boat. Like, I've always imagined the captain going up to Jonah, kicking him in his side and giving him that nickname Sleeper, going, Get up, you stupid sleeper! You get over here and help, you idiot. Like, okay, so 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 here's the deal with rebellion and the way it leads you to drift off and, and how it entices you to sleep things off that you never should do. Like like naps are great, right? But but perhaps you shouldn't be taking a nap when you're about to die. Like that's a really bad time to take a nap. You like but I want you to know that's one of the main ways that rebellious people activate their energy to get through the rebellious seasons. They try to sleep it off. But folks, you cannot sleep away your rebellion. You cannot sleep away your disobedience, not fully and not finally. And you most definitely can't sleep off the Lord's pursuit for you. Listen, Jonah is sleeping at the bottom of a boat, and these guys are telling him to wake up and to get with the program. And it's at that point that Jonah realizes that he has some real issues going on, folks some real issues going on in his life. And I tell you the truth, a, a Christian outsider like those pagans were, were looking in at Jonah's decision and they saw him rebelling and they saw how he was acting and they were like shaking their heads like, what's wrong with this guy? He's acting wacky and wonky. No one does this in the middle of a storm. Like, And if you've ever been that rebellious person, you know how foolish you look when you think back to it, right? Like, like be honest with yourself right now. Look back to a season when you were being really rebellious. Doesn't it look really stupid and wacky and wonky now that you look from it, look back on it from today's vantage point? Or, or perhaps if you've ever dealt with someone who's been super rebellious, you know, that wayward husband or that wayward wife or that wayward young teenager or young adult, and you look up and you see how they're acting and what they're doing, and you're saying to yourself, man, this person is really screwed up. Why are they acting like that? Don't they see what's, what they're ruining for themselves and for others? But, but that's why it's so ridiculously, I mean, it's so ridiculous when rebelling people attempt so desperately to sleep 
off of their storms. It's, it's ridiculous. But folks, that's what our sin does. <laughs> it numbs you out and it makes you a coward and you lose all sense of reality and perspective about the danger going on around you. No matter how many people are telling you to wake up, you don't want the uncomfortability and you just keep trying to sleep, 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 sleep. Like the ripple effects are happening all around you and you're losing opportunities of a lifetime. Relationships are breaking forever and you don't even know it because you're asleep. You're dead asleep. So when you sleep through your trauma and you sleep through your storms and you sleep through the destruction of, of other people's lives, something has gone terribly wrong. Listen to me today as I pastor you. When things don't bother you anymore and the things are not making your skin crawl, maybe you're at the point in your Christian faith and in your walk with Jesus that you are in the dangerous game of being asleep and susceptible to being taken out by the enemy. And that is not good. Now, now here's a couple of things I, I really hope and I want you to resonate with regarding Jonah's ridiculous sleeping behavior and posture and the sleeping posture and behavior we often take as Christians today. So I'm going to walk you through six key realities of, of Jonah's sleep and, and how we often do the same thing in our lives today. It's going to be on your screen. Let's walk through this faithfully, family of God. Okay, here's number one. Jonah slept in a place where he hoped no one would see him or disturb him, right? He's, he's on the boat. He goes to the bottom of it, the corner of the bottom. He thinks he's going to be slick. He thinks they're not going to need him. He thinks it's just about him. And here's the reality. Here's the gospel truth. And the sleeping Christian likes to hide out at the church from time to time as well. Instead of being active and participating when the church needs you the most, you try to hide out in church from time to time. Here's number two. Jonah slept in a place where he could not help with the work that needed to be done. He strategically positioned himself in isolation from community. And here's the gospel truth. And the sleeping Christian stays away from the work of God too. The sleeping Christian will position themselves to stay away from anything that resembles gospel work. Is that, is that you today? Are you a sleeping Christian? Here's number three. Jonah was asleep while there was a prayer meeting occurring on the upper deck. They were praying and pursuing and trying to discover what they needed to do. But, but here's the gospel truth. And the sleeping Christian never really likes to join prayer opportunities either. Are you that Christian whenever they say like, hey, we're going to have a prayer Sunday, a prayer walk, and you want nothing to do with it? Warning sign, Christian. Warning sign that you might be asleep. Who doesn't want to communicate and be in the presence of the Lord who boasts all those things we talked about today? Peace and joy and love and perfect counseling. And you don't want to talk to them. I mean, talk to him on, on, on a Saturday morning prayer walk. You may be a, a sleeping Christian. Number four, Jonah slept and had no idea of the problems surrounding him. And, and here's the gospel truth. And the sleeping Christian doesn't know what's really going on either because they're, they're too busy being asleep and they've removed themselves from any reality of what's going on. They have no perspective. Is that you? Are you a sleeping Christian in that way? Here's, here's number five. 
Jonah slept when he was in great danger to avoid life. He was avoiding life. And life for him was in Nineveh. And life for him was, was in co- the commands of the Lord. And, and, and life for him was to, was to speak the commands of the Lord. And, and life for him was to challenge the Ninevites. And, and life for him was to offer them a, a beautiful opportunity of redemption. And he was avoiding that. But the, here's the gospel truth. And the sleeping Christian is in danger, but he doesn't even know it. And is that you? Are you in danger? Are you trying to avoid things and and avoiding God and avoiding people and avoiding your sin and avoiding the reconciliation story that you need to have with brother or sister so-and-so, yet you don't even know that you're walking into a great ocean and well of danger yourself? And finally, number six, Jonah slept well though many men needed his assistance. Like, it doesn't say that Jonah was going in and out of a cat nap. It says Jonah was fast asleep. And the gospel truth is the sleeping Christian can snooze highly effectively while the world needs her message and testimony as well. And are you that sleeping Christian that's not just sleeping but is doing it and having the time of your life? It may mean, Christian, that you are asleep. Okay, so so pay attention. Jonah's sleeping posture came from a lifetime, one step at a time, of rebellion. Decisions were being made over and over again. And we don't know his whole life. Well, we can just look at this text. First, he said no to glory. Then he traveled to Joppa, 20 miles, step-by-step of decisions. Then he paid a fare. You, you see, paid the fare, went to the bottom of the boat. He kept making decisions. He continued to be rebellious. And I just wonder how many Christians today are currently feeling out of touch right now with everything going on in their life. You're like, man, my life is screwed up. It's all over the place, and I don't know why. Okay, well, maybe, just maybe, if you allow God's word, if you really allow God's word to stand authoritatively in your life and in your situation right now, perhaps the Holy Spirit is going to activate in you and identify for you some areas that you need to surrender to the Lord. And perhaps you're going to find out that you've been asleep and that it's time to wake back up. That's a faithful explanation of verses five through five through six, but we're just keep going. Let's keep going. Verse verse seven. It's it's on your screen. And and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell, folks, the lot fell. On Jonah, and and I imagine that this was probably the the final moment in which Jonah had that final opportunity to feel like he had a little hope to get away with his rebellion. Like, oh God, oh God, please, 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 don't let the lot fall on me. Don't let the lot fall on me. But once that lot fell on our man Jonah, he knew that he was caught red-handed. And and we're taught in the New Testament that we aren't to cast lots as Bible-believing Christ and Christians to see what's going on or or to, to discern things like all that witchcraft stuff. But instead, we are to tune our ears to heaven. We are to look and to listen to what the Lord would have us to do or what the Lord would have us to say according to his kingdom-focused principles found in these holy scriptures. Okay, so, so let's keep tracking because then these guys start to pose some really, really good questions to Jonah right here in verse 8. So here, here's the question. They, they, they then said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country, and what people are you? And, and, and perhaps under his breath, or maybe he was screaming over the storm since it's hissing and it's going crazy, he says something like this in, in verse 9. Uh, 
I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And here's what's crazy. Even today, maybe in your own life, you ought to to consider where you're at right now. Maybe you need to. Maybe you should consider journaling and and writing down who you are and, and what God has called you to do and then comparing to that to where you're actually at today. That's a very good assignment. So add that to your homework assignment. Put it right now on your paper as a part of your assignment after you read chapter two. Journal and write and spend about 30 minutes a day writing down who you are and, and what God's called you to do for, for, to the best of your knowledge and then compare it to what you're doing in your life today and, and think about what that means. Like start to compare the relationships that, that you've made with the calling that's on your life. Be honest though when you do it and be genuine and look at the direction and look at the relationships that are in your life right now and compare to that compare that to what God is calling you to do and who God's calling you to be and see what the genuine results are because here is Jonah telling these men that he's a Hebrew track with me lean in look at look at he's telling them that he's a Hebrew he's telling them that he works for God he's telling them that he fears the Lord yet his life doesn't look like that at all I'm going to say it to you again. Jonah's telling them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I work for the Lord. But nothing in Jonah's life looks like that. Like, like, let's keep track in verse, verse 10. It's on your screen. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. <laughs> and, and you might need to ask yourself, why you bought that thing and why you're in that relationship and why you signed up for that situation and why you committed to that that activity. Like, think about what Jonah's doing right now. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord and I work for the Lord. And they're looking at him like, it doesn't look like that. Folks, we can't be Christians that are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I go to church and I do all these things, but nothing in our lives looks like what the Bible says it should look like. That's what's happening in our world today. That's why so many people look at Christians and think we're the, the biggest hypocrites. Because so often we are. Listen, God is calling you to himself and towards the sweetness of his presence where peace and love and joy are. But along that journey is a vehicle of obedience that we need to grow and find pleasurable so we don't look like hypocrites, but we look like ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. But the enemy wants you to sell out and to find yourself far away from Jesus, claiming him, claiming Christ, wearing the t-shirt, going to the church, but nothing in your life looking at it. This whole concept that Jesus doesn't want you, I mean, that Satan doesn't want you to go to church and Satan doesn't want you to say you're a Christian, don't believe that hype. The greatest attack of the enemy is to have weak, fraudulent, People claiming Christ, living contrary, and distorting the image of the gospel. And don't you ever, ever forget that. Okay, let's keep tracking to verse 11 through 13. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12 says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great temptest has come upon you. Verse 13 says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. 
Okay. Okay, what words do you see here? Uh, great storm, growing tempestuous, growing more tempestuous against them. Okay, why is the storm? Think about this. Why is the storm swelling and getting progressively worse? Why is it progressing? Folks, it's because Jonah hasn't learned his lesson yet. He won't tap out, and he's trying to take things into his own hands. He's trying to punish himself and punish himself and punish himself thinking it's going to make things better, but it's not. Like, have you ever done that before? You know, when you try to offer suggestions to the Lord and others, and and you think that this is how the punishment should be handed out, and you become the the jury and the judge. Well, Well, let me tell you, the sea will continue to grow more tempestuous in your life until you find yourself tapping out looking up and linking into God completely and without delay. Okay, so so here's verse 14 through 16 as we prepare to land the plane today. It's, it's on your screen. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Okay, now now I want to be honest with you. These mariners probably thought the story was over at this point. I mean, just think about this like logically. Uh, they had seen God, and they'd seen him do a mighty work. They'd seen a punishment. They'd seen a mighty work. They, they'd seen his power. Their, their lives have already been changed, right? They made their decision in Christ. They've tapped it out. They've looked up. They've linked in. They're on a new, remember, they're going to be um, doing a new ministry snorkeling experience for the Tetrakis, like things are going well. Now they've seen the story. The story feels over. Uh, the story, uh, they're, they're back in the Bahama-like climate. It seems that the story is over. But folks, the story was not over. It wasn't over because God provided a great fish because God wasn't done. Just look at verse 17, the last verse of this chapter right now. It's, it's on your screen. And the Lord appointed or in some translations, prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, now now next week, we're going to be studying this word, appointed or prepared. I want to put it back on your screen right now. This word right here, and the Lord appointed and prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We're going to be studying this word, appointed and prepared, because God had made this storm in advance for Jonah in order that he would be rescued. Like, 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 have you ever wondered why Jonah was in the fish specifically, though, for three days and, and for three nights? Well, well, I can't wait till you do your homework this week as you read through chapter 2 of Jonah and read through it slowly because you will see as you read through Jonah's prayer to God and, and though it won't officially say that the end of the prayer was at the end of the third day, it's safe that we could assume that. Most, most theologians agree with that, that at the end of the, his prayer was simultaneously the end of that, of that third day. And what you're going to see is 
And what I'm going to unpack for you next week is some very serious implications and life applications that are going to change your life if you have an open heart and a, and a, soft, and a soft mind. Because on the first day, Jonah was probably saying, this whole thing is crazy and I'm probably going to die in here and I'm in the fish. But, but by the second day, I, I imagine that Jonah was probably thinking, okay, I'm going to die in here. It's 104 degrees and the gastric juices are killing me. My skin is being burnt off. But, but, by, the, but by the third day, Jonah was like, you know what, Lord? I'm, I've been thinking about this since, since I'm still not dead yet. And, and if you would receive me as your prophet again, I'm, I'm ready now. If you would offer me grace and kindness and keep me alive, and since you keep keeping me alive, I'm, I'm ready to tap out now. And, and I'm ready to offer my life as a living sacrifice to you. Like, like folks, like can't you see throughout these three days and these three nights, God is preparing Jonah's heart. Wow. But what is he preparing his heart for? To tap out and to get active so he can go and call out to this great city. Folks, Jesus himself would share this very same story with his disciples. And he would tell them, guys, just like Jonah did, I'm going to take on punishment for, for, for three days and for three nights. And I'm going to take on great discipline for these three days and these three nights. And Jesus did this, folks, in order that he could rescue me and he could rescue you so that we would not have to have the heavy weight and burden of this punishment over us that we could never possibly pay in the first place. And he did it so he could offer through his blood on the cross with his father's glad uh, agreement, deliverance and forgiveness. But he didn't do this so that we would have to spend three days and three nights in the belly of the whale of all of our situations. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to. We don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. You can tap out and activate your spiritual position because of the blood of Jesus and just follow Jesus. We can come back from our rebellion instantaneously if we trust God and what he did on the cross. So brother and sister, you have an opportunity right now today to come back to the Lord and, and you shouldn't delay and, and you shouldn't wait. So, so right now is going to be your opportunity. Right now is going to be your opportunity to turn back to the Lord. So we're going to bow our heads and we're going to really, really pray right now. So, so eyes are closed and, and heads are bowed as we approach the throne room. Where our, where our Father is. Let's, let's pray. Father, Abba Father, as we close today, we ask that you would help us to come to you and, and to receive you from you and to follow you and to serve you. You have asked us to set down our weights and sins that so easily entangle us in order that we wouldn't have to be punished for those sins because Jesus spent three days in the belly of a tomb and he, and he did it all so that all of us as rebels at heart might find ourselves reconciled to you, our King. And Lord, I believe there's, there's two types of people here right now with heads bowed today because there are those who have major rebellion in their lives today. 
They, they just need to bring everything into submission to you, Lord, so that you might bring that peace they are so desperately looking to find. And yet there's others, Lord, who are sort of doing everything kind of perfect, but there's areas that they know in their hearts, in their lives, they too need to, be, uh, need to bring into subjection to you these micro things they know there's not surrendering. And so so to those who are macro rebelling and to those who are micro rebelling, we all need to tune our muscles of obedience to you, Jesus, today. And so I pray that each person is just saying, I surrender. I surrender. Like Jonah on the third day, I, I surrender to you, Lord. So, so right now, with your heads bowed and, and your eyes staying closed, I, I want to invite everyone listening to this sermon right now to just raise their hand and to say audibly, I surrender. Say, I surrender, Lord. Say it loudly and say it aloud like you mean it. Say, I surrender. I surrender. And, and, and as you keep your hands raised, I want everyone to repeat after me and to say these things. So, so you got you got a hand raised, and, and you're repeating, you're repeating me, uh, you're repeating after me these things. And I'm, and I only want you to repeat them if you mean them from the from the from the bottom of your heart. Lord, I don't want to rebel anymore. Say that. Say, Lord, I don't want to rebel anymore. Lord, I give my life to you. Yeah, say that. Say, 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 I give everything to you. Come on, talk to your creator today, your creator king. Come on, come on. Forgive me of my sins. You know them all, God. Forgive me. Say that out loud. Say it out loud. Be proud and aloud. Say, clean up my life and use me for your glory. Say that today. Oh, man. Say, I'm a child of the Most High and my decisions matter. Say that. Say, I'm a child. Yeah. Yeah. Say, say, I'm anointed with the Holy Spirit and I'm equipped with power of life and death. And I choose life. Say that in your own words. Say, say, I'm, say, say you're equipped and you're choosing life today. Oh, I want, oh, I'm just imagining the people of God and the voices that are, that are, that are all being heard. Hear your brothers and sisters right now and find strength in the plurality of this community. Say, use me for your glory, God. Say that. Use me for your glory. Say, say, forgive me for my pride and my rebellion and my hardened heart. Come on, say it, people of God. Say, forgive me, Jesus. I'm a sinner and I want to follow you. Say that from the bottom of your heart. Okay, now, I want you to keep your heads bowed. I want you to put your hands down. And I want you to listen to me as I land this plane. You have every opportunity today to be so infinitely valuable to the kingdom of God and so infinitely valuable to your family and so infinitely valuable in your marriage and so infinitely valuable as a parent and so infinitely valuable as a friend and as a brother and as a sister and as a son and as a co-worker. And if you can tune your ear to heaven and you can stay in this spirit-filled pocket of these prayers and these decrees that you've offered up to the heavens, you're going to have a game-changing life 
starting today. Believe that by faith. Holy Spirit, help them where they have doubt. It's in your beautiful name that we take all this to your throne room and we believe upon it. And the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace. Until next time.